0: In 2016, when uh, Emily Blunt, the actress, was filming Mary Poppins Returns. Anybody ever seen this movie? Oh, not very many of you. Okay. (laughs) Who's ever seen Mary Poppins? There we go. There it is. Um, Well, when they were filming the sequel, in London, her husband, John Krasinski, of uh, The Office, seen this show, Jack Ryan, you've watched this TV show? Very, pretty good show. And um, anyway, he flies over to London to visit his wife while she's filming, and he goes through, the, goes through customs, and the guy's stamping his thing, and he said, okay, well, why are you, I don't do a British accent, so I'm not going to try, but why are you visiting uh, England? And he said, well, my wife uh, is, is an actress, and he said, oh, yeah, what about you? Are, are you an actor? And he said, yeah, well, yeah, I'm an actor. Oh, really? What, have I seen, would I have seen you in any, anything? Well... We did. We have an American version of The Office that started in the, in the UK, and um, the British guy said, "Oh yeah, I like our version better than yours." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, all right." Um, so who's your wife? Uh, her name's Emily Blunt. And he said, "You're married to Emily Blunt." <laughs> yeah, you. She married you. Stamped it. Get out of here. But when they were filming um, Mary Poppins, the actress there, she... You take the picture off. They're, they're making us feel bad about ourselves because they're so beautiful. Uh, with it, when they were filming it, she said, I didn't want to watch the old movie with um, you know, Dick Van Dyke, and I didn't, I didn't want to, that to color my, my performance. So I just wanted it to be um, through the book. And that there was something about that character that she's so whimsical and, and beautiful and obviously talented. She can tap dance with penguins and things like that. Um, and there's something about her that is so, like, otherworldly. Like, that character shows other people what's actually real and lifts up the reality around her and what's possible And what's interesting, if you notice about Mary Poppins, the way she enters is always the way she leaves, right? Heels together like this and an umbrella, right? She comes floating down and there's always wind. That's the telltale sign. Uh, She always arrives and leaves in the same way. Sorry, spoiler alert. I didn't mean to spoil it. Mary Poppins returns for you. Um, Very good movie. But when we talk about Jesus, he didn't arrive... Like you would expect the Son of God to arrive, right? He didn't come through the clouds uh, in that way. He came through the the womb of a woman like we all have, except, of course, through the womb of a virgin so that he could be a perfect spotless lamb for the sins of the world, like the book of Hebrews would, would write about. And how Jesus would leave the earth is similar to how we will get off this planet, but not exactly the same. For example, when you and I eventually pass away, um, spoiler alert for those of us in the room, uh, when you're a teenager and you're in your 20s, you think, what? No, never. Sorry, that's going to happen one day. When you and I leave this earth, uh, the Christian understanding, the creedal, scriptural understanding is that your soul is immediately in the presence of God and that at a later time, well, we would consider it later. It all could be simultaneous, really, because God's outside of time. Anyway, don't mean to lead you down that... Um, rabbit hole. But at a later date and time, the body is then resurrected, right? This is how the manner which we've always understood, the afterlife. Again, it could all happen simultaneously as well. But Jesus, on the other hand, when he died, and he did completely die, he didn't leave the earth immediately, did he? He stayed here for 40 days in a glorified, resurrected body, Appearing, disappearing, greeting people. Uh, As Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 15, he's writing about what he experienced. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter. Then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500. Talk about eyewitness testimony here. uh, Brothers and sisters, many of whom are still alive. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, he, Jesus is resurrected, and he appears to those two men on the road to Emmaus, that famous story, and they don't even know who he is, and I like to think Jesus was really having fun with them. I like to think he was kind of trolling them a little bit, like, huh, yeah, like, I, one church I worked at in Charlotte, we were hiring a new, uh, this youth group was so big, we had six full-time people working with this youth ministry, Do you imagine that? And we hired a full-time, we're going to hire another full-time person, and uh, we knew he was coming in, and the head youth pastor, his name was Robbie, um, Robbie said, hey, when he shows up, don't tell him who I am. And I said, why not? He was like, I just want to have a little fun with this guy. So this guy, Nick, shows up to interview, and Nick says, oh, I'm, I'm here to meet Robbie for the, for the job. And Robbie goes, oh, okay, I'll, I'll take you to him. <laughs> but it was Robbie. And so Robbie just led him around the church and showed him everything, and eventually he said, oh, it's me. I think Robbie wanted to kind of interview him a little bit on on the DL, you know? But after those 40 days, Jesus then leaves the earth in a very unique manner that we won't do. His body and soul ascend simultaneously into heaven. Now, there are two other people, actually, in the Old Testament that left the earth in a similar way. Um, It's not the same because Jesus died. These two men did not die. Enoch and Elijah. Genesis chapter 5 said that Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And then one day he was no more because God took him away. 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah was carried up in a chariot of fire in a whirlwind and went up into heaven. So there's some precedent for God doing this sort of thing. But again, the difference is, is that Jesus died for the sins of the world And rose again but as jesus is ascending he is lifting his hands luke 24 shows us that he's lifting his hands and he's blessing those who are watching he continues to teach and lead those that are on the ground he does this thing called the great commission go as he's rising he's saying go go into all the world Teach what I teach them what I've taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go into all the nations. Go to Jerusalem and wait, for the Spirit will come. So go. And then as he's getting to the very top, they're literally straining their eyes. He's saying, and I will be with you always until the very end of the age. This dramatic scene. And then he's gone. In Acts chapter 1, you see this story, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing up toward heaven. Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's interesting. Jesus commands them to go. Go. You just get a piece of that. But other gospels give you the bigger picture of the Great Commission. Go. What are they doing? Are they going? No. They're doing what I would do, what you would do. Stand there, squinting. Squinting. Oh, I think I can still see him. Oh, it's a bird. Oh, did you get that on video? Right? Did you just see that? Like this amazing experience. He says, go! And they're just standing there. So they help them get back on track, God sends two angels with a message. Ain't angel in greek literally means messenger angels don't create their own message they are given what they are told to say and they say it and to relay that there's hierarchies of angels there are warrior angels things like that but these are messengers there's a lot of them so the bible tells us there are millions and millions and millions of them anyway two people in white appear with a message and this is what they were told to say jesus has been taken from you into heaven i think they got that part but someday, he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now, why would angels, why would God send that message to tell them that? Why not just say, yes, he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is now in the throne room of God. Daniel chapter 7. Go read it. It's, I, it is, John Wesley too believed, it is what happened immediately after this event. He ascends into the throne room, and the Father bestows on the Son all honor and authority and power. And Satan shows up, actually, in this courtroom as well. And he is deposed in that moment as well. He is uh, cast down in that moment. It's pretty fascinating. So, but why would the angels have to be given this message that he will return, knowing full well those men and women on the ground would not be alive to witness his return? This was over 2,000 years ago. There's a couple of reasons, I think. For one, just because hope. Our God is a God of hope. He is continually one that wants to point us toward a bright future, to let them know and us know today that he is not gone forever. He He will return in the manner in which you saw him leave. Second is justice, that God will return. God is a God of ultimate justice. Just as there is justice on earth, as flawed as it is, There is perfect justice in the spiritual world. And our God is a God of justice. And he will return as a conquering king and judge. And third is faithful, that God is faithful. He follows through every time on everything he promises. And that he will be faithful with this promise as well. Now, if you hear all of this, that we're talking about a Jewish rabbi that was crucified, buried, resurrected and then ascended into heaven and you're telling me that that crucified rabbi is now lord well he always was lord but he is the ascended lord of the universe somebody out there is going that seems a lot to swallow that sounds like a whole i don't know if i can wrap my mind around that but is it so far-fetched hear me out i know some of you are already convinced that's great. But if, if you could see what happens when you pray, you would never cease to pray. Yeah? If you saw what was happening in the spirit when you prayed, you would never cease to pray. If you could see the reality of the spiritual ecosystem around all of us all the time, it would blow your mind. It would, you, we couldn't take it in, honestly. I think a lot of what we experience in life is 90% spiritual and 10% physical. Just because you can't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there. The life, death, resurrection, and ascension, a very important part that gets left out too much, the ascension of Jesus, it's the full culmination of the salvation work of God. The big part of that is that it all forces us to recast how you view life on this planet. Because his perspective is so much bigger than ours. His perspective is of two worlds, all worlds all realities all dimensions so his words in life that this this account of Jesus and his life and his resurrection and his ascension all of it it can seem so fantastic and revolutionary because we live maybe 60 or 70 80 years on a rock filled with trees and air and water and it seems like a too much to handle because we're mortal But his story, his life, calls us to raise our vision upward and to realize there are worlds and realities that we simply cannot detect, that he is fully aware of. Think about it this way. All the healings Jesus did, I've heard it said that those are supernatural events in a natural world. I challenge that. I think his healings are the most truly natural thing that's ever happened in this world. Our world is the one that is unnatural, that is bent, that is broken, that is demonized, that is fallen, that knows what we ought to do, but we don't do it. He is the realest of the real. Everything he did and said is the real world. You hear what I'm saying? It is we who are foreign. We are not the center of the universe. Because sinners tend, tend to think everything should revolve around me. No, God is the center of all that is. He is the standard. Yes? Not me or you. Not my opinions. He is the center of it all. In the same way, Jesus' trust in Christ is not some unnatural, blind, naive optimism. Faith is the most reasonable or natural choice in an unnatural world. For it is the unseen things of life that give our life the most meaning. Isn't that true? I did a funeral yesterday, and it reminded me, money, your health, all these things pass away. All the things that are perishable will eventually pass away. But eventually, we must put on that which is imperishable. Faith, hope, love, joy, All of these unseen things is what gives life purpose and meaning. So just because you can't see those things, you can't quantify them, you can't put them in a test tube, it doesn't mean they're not valuable. Just because it seems counterintuitive, it doesn't mean it's wrong. Now, to be fair, like you and me, if we were there that day that Jesus ascended, we would be heartbroken, we would be sad because it would seem like it was over what are we supposed to do now jesus we just saw you raised from the dead that was awesome but now what do we do jesus said it's for our good that he left in john 16 he says it is for your good that i'm going away unless i go away the advocate will not come to you my spirit your holy spirit is jesus it is his presence I will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. But when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Again, Daniel 7, go read it. He's talking about the devil. Uh, Because of the full work of Jesus was complete, Satan was completely condemned on that day as well. The ascension is the culmination of the salvation work of God. But if you think about it this way, the ascension, what if it never happened, right? What if he never did what we just heard about and he just hung out in Jerusalem, this eternal king on an earthly throne, right? What would that look like? Can you imagine the logistical nightmare (laughs) of the entire world going to see Jesus ruling and reigning from Jerusalem? Let's say you got on a ship or a boat or a plane and you flew to Israel along with all the other people of the world in any given... If you think Disney World in July is a problem, um, just think about... compare those two things here. Think about the difficulty you would have just getting... to to maybe, maybe get a glimpse of the resurrected king. You would see caravans of millions of people stretching for miles and miles. You would go through all this effort and money and time to try and get just to see him, but you might not even get close. They don't have fast passes, you know, to get into Jerusalem or something. See, but as Jesus said in his ascension, you are not losing me. You're actually gaining more of me. Because he is risen, I'm going to send you the advocate. John 14, isn't it beautiful? I keep reading these verses from John. Jesus knew that they were going to need to be encouraged. He was repeatedly teaching and exhorting and encouraging them because he knew he was going. And he knew that we also today would need that same encouragement. He says, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you, but when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. You know, I don't know about you, but do you tend to forget what the Bible says sometimes? <laughs> you better be honest, you're in church today. Some, one time someone said to me, why do we read the Apostles' Creed every week? It feels kind of boring, kind of stale, right? And it can feel that way if that's your attitude about it. Because we do. It. I mean, when you're a kid, especially, you're like, oh, gosh, we have to do this again? But here's one reason why. Because we forget. We forget. You know, I, I was a part of a campus ministry in college, and this campus ministry gave, a, they preached the gospel, a salvation kind of message a lot. And someone came up and goes, do we have to do this every week? It gets kind of, kind of redundant. And I said, friend, if you get tired of hearing it, I don't know if you ever heard it the first time, because you shouldn't get tired of hearing that. You always need to hear it it's the same with these teachings of jesus we forget that's why he says i'm sending the spirit to remind you because we're like sheep we walk away what what did he say i don't remember you know oh i fell in a ditch oh help this is what happens i i and he will come though he will remind you the holy spirit is so patient with us he is so kind he is just Wherever he is, there is perfect stillness and peace. It's always a sign of his presence. Verse 27, as he said, I'm leaving you with a gift, a peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Those words are for us today, my friends. So every time you're in church or you're reading your Bible or you're praying and you feel the light come on, have it ever happened to you while you're maybe you're you're having a devotional time and you're reading something and you go, oh, I've never thought of it that way before. Has this ever happened to you? Pay attention to that. That's the Holy Spirit. Because you didn't generate that, did you? No. So sometimes we overthink the spiritual stuff. We tend to think it has to be some hoop. No, it's just that simple. It's God saying to you, oh, you need to see that today. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what this promise Jesus said. That's the advocate. He's, he's giving a voice to the voiceless. He's helping you understand things that you and I, left to our own devices, cannot understand. Without God's grace and help, we can't even know God's grace. So he has ascended, he will return one day and judge the world. And as we sing this last song, as we always do, we're going to have time for the Holy Spirit to move as he will. And this time of prayer is open at the front. And if you want someone to lay hands on you and pray with you, that is always an option. Friends, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you that from the cloud you have ascended and you are risen. And God, today we receive the Spirit because we're not here to play church. Life is too short. God, we receive this promise by faith that you said your Spirit would come, he would remind us of what's true and thereby cast out what's false. And that he, you, would give a peace that the world cannot give. God, we're a people in need of peace. Bring your peace. Bring your healing. And I know that you will because you always do what's right. We welcome your work in our midst. In Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand together.